Um, so at the moment we're working our way through the book of Acts. If you have a Bible or your phone with a Bible app on it, um, Acts chapter 8 is where we're at. And as we've been working our way through the book of Acts, I would have to say I don't think that I've ever read or seen an intensity of the power of God and the working of the Holy Spirit anywhere else in history since then as we read about this special time in the book of Acts. Um, in the previous chapter, Derek talked about last week, we saw, we saw Stephen give a speech uh, where he was dragged before the Sanhedrin on charges of blasphemy. And it's Stephen, it says, was full of grace and power and his speech was so confronting that he was stoned to death for it. And this began a great persecution and the scattering of the church in Jerusalem. And this is where we pick up the story today. Can you imagine such a persecution? As a result of Stephen's speech, Saul was going from house to house, dragging people out and putting them in prison. Everyone, except for the apostles, was scattered throughout the whole land because the persecution was so great. I think if, if, if this was today's church, I think we might have blamed Stephen, saying, I think he went a bit too far. He, maybe he could have toned it down a bit. Um, you know, why cause trouble? I mean, bad people's always going to be there. But he didn't. Instead, Luke, who, who, who writes the account of Acts, uh, actually honours Stephen. He says, a man full of grace and power. And he says, godly men bury him and they mourn for him. Stephen was no crazy person, but men who are filled with the Spirit can never water down the truth. Acts 8.4 says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And the same word of the gospel that caused Stephen to be stoned to death is the word that they preached wherever they went. That's quite some conviction. That takes courage, doesn't it? I'm lift this up a little bit. Thank you. Um, Jesus had said earlier in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he'd said to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What they didn't know was that God would activate his plan through their own persecution. As we take a step back to gain some perspective on this tragedy, we see Saul, who is later called Paul, the guy who wrote more books of the Bible than anyone else, was unwittingly causing the rapid spread of the gospel as a non-believer. You see, large and comfortable churches, as we can see this morning, is not always God's way. It took persecution to send people out, scattered, but preaching the word wherever they went. At times, God allows us to be persecuted and he uses it to fulfil his plans. Uh, this event started with the stoning of Stephen and it was God's plan to send the gospel throughout the whole world. Uh, Philip, remember Philip 
one of those who were filled with the Holy Spirit who were appointed to help with the distribution of the widow's funds, a food. Um, 8 verse 5, it says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics and cripples were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. That's an amazing battlefield right there. Now in this city was a man named Simon who had previously practised magic and had amazed the people. Not only of just the city but of the whole of Samaria. And he was telling everybody that he was great because of his magic and his sorcery. Everyone paid attention to him saying this man is the power of God and he amazed them with his magic for a long time. But when Philip came the people believed Philip as he preached the gospel of Jesus and they were baptised and it says that even Simon believed and was baptised and he followed Philip around everywhere amazed at the signs and the wonders. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard of this great conversion in Samaria, they sent Peter and John to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Reading from verse 18, it says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, to the, was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, that nothing that you have said may happen to me. So I think the account of Simon is supposed to serve as a real warning. It's a warning for people who have an unhealthy focus on supernatural signs and wonders. It's not to say that signs and wonders of God are bad, but it's a warning that you, it's possible to think them, about them in a way that's destructive. You see, signs and wonders of God have a purpose. They point to something beyond themselves. And uh, as I said the other day, there's a sign outside of Durrenbandy. And, and maybe, if this was, uh, maybe if this little town was Las Vegas, maybe that sign might actually be neon and flashing and bright. And, you know, but it w how tragic would it be if everybody just gathered around the sign and never came into town? You wouldn't worship a road sign, would you? Now, John Piper puts it another way. Have you ever had a baby or a toddler and you've seen something really interesting out the window? And so with your finger, you point and you say, yeah. and they look at your finger and they go, yeah. And you go, yeah, yeah, but no, but out there, look at the bird out on the ledge. It's amazing. Look at the pretty colours. And they still look at your finger and they go, yeah. And they're fixated on your finger. And, and later on, they grow up and they understand that 
your finger means it points to something else. It's not just the thing that they are in awe of. The kids only see the finger. And this is Simon the sorcerer. He saw the signs that Philip was doing. And they were better than his own magical signs. He got excited about them. He followed Philip around and he wanted to imitate them. But he never saw the bird, metaphorically. In other words, he never saw the beauty of the gospel. He never saw the ugliness of his own sin, the need for repentance, and the glory of Christ in the gospel who forgives us and makes us clean, as we were talking about to the kids with the chopper chops. Firstly, there's a kind of faith or a kind of believing that doesn't save even though it comes in the presence of true preaching and true miracles. See, verse 13 says that Simon believed, but he wanted to pay money for the power to be able to give the Holy Spirit to others. And Peter says, may your silver perish with you. You've got no part or share in this matter of Christianity. I don't think he was truly converted. His heart was not right with God. And he has not repented. And it says he's in the gall of bitterness and he's in the bond of iniquity. In other words, he's captivated by sin. Now, we can find similar things throughout the Bible. We can find in John 2, 23 to 25, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not trust himself to them because he knew all men and needed no one to be a witness of man, for he himself knew what was in man. The same kind of faith is also seen in the parable of the four soil types. In Luke 8, 9-15, there are three types of soil that do not produce salvation. The seed that lands on the hard soil that doesn't endure because the devil snatches it away, snatches away the word from their hearts. The seed that lands on the rocky soil that grows for a little bit before it withers and dies. And the seed that lands among the thorns and it gets choked out by the riches and pleasures of life. These three types of faith don't endure. They don't produce fruit, it says. In other words, this type of faith isn't, isn't saving faith. Paul taught the same possibility in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, when he said, I preached to you the gospel which you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved if you hold fast, unless you believed in vain. There's such a thing as believing in vain. James calls it faith without works. It's dead. Dead faith. So we have... John, Luke, Paul and James all describing a kind of faith that doesn't save. It's barren. It's empty. You could say it's not faith at all. It's most definitely not faith that endures to the end. Now the second issue that we have with Simon is the object of his faith. He was a sorcerer, which means that he... He believed in magic and he dealt in supernatural power. He believed in it. And he had amazed a whole nation by it. 
When Philip came along healing people and casting out demons, Simon knew that that power was real and it was stronger than his own power. He would even try to buy it. Philip, through signs and wonders, was pointing to the glory of Christ Jesus. But Simon was fixated on the finger. He wanted to be able to point like that. But he never turned his head to look out the window. The glory of the Jesus who was crucified for sinners wasn't the object of his faith. Simon was fixated with amazement. Uh, in verse three places, verse nine, it says Simon had amazed the nation of Samaria. And then again in 11, he had amazed them for a long time. And in verse 13, it says he was amazed by Philip's demonstration of power. Simon wanted to be someone great. Amazement and belief and even the working of supernatural power is not necessarily saving faith. There was no repentance. Verse 22 says, Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And it says Simon's heart was not right before God and the Greek for not right literally means it wasn't straight. He had a crooked heart. I think that's, a, that's a, an analogy that, that, that speaks to us if you think about it. It's the heart of sin to want to be God. Like Adam and Eve who wanted to be like God in the garden. But amazement and excitement about signs and wonders isn't saving faith. Signs and wonders are like a finger that points to Jesus. They show that God is who he says he is. They are like a smaller replica of what was accomplished on the cross. It's who God is. He's a God who heals. He's a God who loves. He's a God who restores us. Signs and wonders speak of the glory of God. So much so, it's a glory that cannot be contained. They point to him. They do not point to themselves. Now, in case you're wondering, the problem of the fixating finger is not confined just to Pentecostals. A pointing finger can also be a good evangelical sermon that points to Christ. Good podcasts, great Bible teachers, good Christian books, good Bible studies. And I think at some point we're all guilty of looking to the finger and not to Christ. At some stage or another. And as I wrote this sermon, I realised that my heart needs to be right, not just the message. <clears throat> the other aspect, an undeniable aspect I'd like to look at this morning, is the essential part of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Romans 8, 9 says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Holy Spirit isn't an optional extra. It's not the difference between two classes of Christians, those with and those without. Acts chapter 2.38 clearly says, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise to those who believe. 
It's interesting here that here in Acts, in this place and all through Acts, we can see that there's something tangible, especially for Simon, that he, he could see that the Samaritans had received the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just, oh yeah, we've received the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, okay, can't see it, but good for you. There was something tangible. There was something changed. We're not actually told what exactly that was. But we know that it was obvious. We know that in some instances in scripture, like here, the Holy Spirit came through prayer and the laying on of hands. In other places, he came through preaching, like in Acts 10 in Cornelius' house. Sometimes he came straight away and sometimes he came a short time after. In this particular case, which is a bit unique, the Holy Spirit came after they believed. And it would appear um, that God, in his sovereignty, had waited until some of the apostles were there to witness the event. This is the first time that Christianity has spread outside of Jerusalem to the Samaritans. The Samaritans who actually were not real friendly with the Jews. So, you know, it could easily have turned into a separate denomination, couldn't it? The Jews wouldn't have accepted here. Yeah, that is that really the Holy Spirit that we have. Hmm. And so I think that's what was going on. And Peter and John could go back to Jerusalem and report the Samaritans have received the Holy Spirit too. The body of Christ is one. Tragically for Simon, the one thing that he did not ask for, and we don't know the end result of Simon's life, we, we, we're actually not told that, but it doesn't look good. He did not ask for the Holy Spirit for himself. He only asked for the ability to give it to others. Now this might seem a, a small point, but I think it tells a big sto story. Simon's heart that wasn't straight was all wrapped up in his own self-importance. He would just use God as a stepping stone to greater things. And I think the question that we should ask ourselves is not so much whether we have or do not have the Holy Spirit. That's a valid question to ask. But I think the bigger question is, do I want him? Does this scare you just a little bit? Are you worried what he might ask of you? Don't fear. It's the Holy Spirit who takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. A heart that feels. A heart after God's own heart. It's the work of the Spirit who makes us yearn for the righteousness of God. He convicts us of sin and the need of a saviour. And he seals us for the day of redemption. And the good news, the very good news, very good news is Jesus promises that God will give his spirit abundantly to those who ask. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us even today. Just as you poured out him onto the disciples and the early church. Fill us. Lord, let our hearts not resist you. Give us a desire to love you more deeply. Give us a boldness to proclaim your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.